0: Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting Podcast with Lee Jackson.
1: Something a little bit different today. Welcome to Get Good at Presenting, the podcast, with my very special guest. You can keep playing. You can keep playing. Like quite, a, it's quite, it's I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying that. That's beautiful. It's like being on radio, isn't it? <laughs> and now this special request. So uh, my special guest today is one of my teachers. So this is Talk to Your Teacher. And this is my friend, uh, Paul Silky-White. I don't think I've ever called you Paul. i was just working that out, Silky.
0: No, it sounds like my mum's
1: annoyed at me when people call me Paul. It's... <laughs> <laughs> so, this is Paul Silky White, and he has got a guitar with us. He is a musician, an international musician, and comedian, and comedy and humor teacher. So, I looked at your website. I was amazed at all the places you'd been, um, yeah, you've been,
0: Silky. Yeah, well, you've, you've been t- all over the world, aren't you, doing your thing? <laughs> you've seen my set, so you know that I can't go back to places I've been before for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read out the list of where you've been well,
1: China, man. Kuwait, Dubai, Bahrain, Singapore, Malaysia, Cambodia. The Seychelles, Indonesia, Norway, Sweden, Bolton, the USA, the Philippines, Kosovo, mm. the Falkland Islands, mm. Bahrain, Australia, all over Europe, and from the Alps to the Luxembourg.
0: Yes, yeah. oh, I've Bahrain twice, so don't don't big me up.
1: <laughs> I did notice that quite a, quite a few places you have visited, Silky. They do seem to be war zones. I didn't know whether that was related to your. I don't know, but
0: I mean, you can't always please everyone, can you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit today about humor. It's always one of my favorite subjects. I've had John Archer on here. I think we've had Jeremy Nicholas talking about humor, but it's one of the most important things when I'm coaching somebody, when I'm helping someone to be a better presenter, I obviously tell them never to tell a joke because that can divide an audience, but I try to teach them how to find humor, how to become funny in lots of different ways. And I thought, where can I go? I'll tell you what, I'll ask Paul Silky White to chat to us because I've done, I'm trying to work this out this morning, Paul, I have done um, your comedy course and I've done your comedy improv course and your advanced improv course,
0: which I think there's another one. I think I've done at least three courses with you. Well, since lockdown kind of stopped the comedy circuit, I've been teaching guitar online as well. So obviously, I mean, until you take up the guitar, then <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not open to you.
1: Well, that's lockdown for you. Now, with the guitar, I learned, I think I think E minor was the only chord I learned because it's the easiest one to do.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good chord
1: as well. It's a kind of a, oh, chord, isn't it? It's a beautiful chord. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, the, the thing about the guitar compared to, say, the piano is there's lots of different places to play the same notes. So an E minor and you can play that E there or you can play it there or you can play it there Whereas <laughs> on the piano, you can only play one note one place so I like having the, the versatility of the piano the but, flexibility I yeah. love that I love that yeah it's so- dead easy to carry as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Silky, tell us about your um how did you get into being funny you know you were you a musician first or were you a comedian first which which one which way around was it
0: I think I've always enjoyed making people laugh. Um, So I kind of, I probably did, I was more formally a musician before I was a stand-up comedian in that I was playing guitar and stuff when I was about 16. I'd had some classical lessons when I was much younger, but I've been, yeah, a kind of guitarist since my mid-teenage years. And then the comedy came later when I was at university. I think you're right about how humour helps in presenting, yeah, trying to do jokes is a difficult path because if people are expecting jokes, then they can mark each joke as a kind of pass or a fail. Whereas if you're being warm and human, naturally comes out of that situation, then it's not as if they're waiting for you to crack another zinger because that is the kind of the Chandler Bing from friends thing that if you're always doing that funny to show off rather than funny to bring people together... People won't want to talk after you've told a joke because it's quite a commanding thing.
1: Chandler Bing is perfect. I mean, Friends Friends has just been on loop in our house for the last 25 years, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that joke of someone said, uh, uh, Friends is no longer on Channel 4. Channel 4 is now closing down because it was like that's all they played for about four years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Utter ubiquity. Yeah. But when you have kind of, yeah, if you've got someone who wants to be the centre of attention, that's different from wanting to be a humorous kind of performer or a humorous speaker because, I mean, a kid having a tantrum wants to be the centre of attention, but no one really wants to be around them.
1: <laughs> that's Whereas,
0: beautifully put, yeah. I'm good at the analogies.
1: I'm going to draw some of them out of you, Silk. So when I first came on your comedy course, that was the one I went first. I think we talked a few times before. We had- I'd seen you do a couple of gigs I was, you know, as you say, a repeat offender. I came back for more. <laughs> yeah. um, and I thought, well, where, where do I go as a professional speaker to push myself? I'm part of the PSA. You know, I work with other speakers. I I obviously read and, and learn from other speakers. But where do I go to push myself? And I thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do stand-up comedy. <laughs> so
0: there's a dark side of professional <laughs> speaking.
1: Because it is a dark side. And it's, not only is it the dark side it can be, um, but actually it's it's – really stressful and i often joke that you know comedy is like speaking on speed it's like <laughs> 20, 20 times faster you've got to be on it you're looking for a laugh every 20 seconds or whatever and that kidding? is pretty hardcore but what
0: so I the takeaways from my course
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so i came on your course I thought I'd push myself. It's six Monday evenings, I think it was, wasn't it? Six Monday evenings yeah. in a row or something like that, with a gig at the end of it, a genuine stand-up gig. With It's mainly us lot in the audience, but there was some paying public there as well that sort of turned up, and it was a little bit scary. And I remember the f- I came in the course, and like any course, I came with a notepad, with a notebook, started to take some notes, and then I realised that, that isn't the kind of course that
0: this is. Um, no, you don't get credits <laughs> towards your GCSEs.
1: You know, so I felt like I felt like a right geek. I will just put my notepad down now and no, no, um, at all, not at all. But I but what But after you'd done the initial bit, which was how to pick up a microphone, I think that was the first 20 minutes. you, well, you got that out of the way, yeah. Yeah, that, that was great. It's like you know, the comedians always move the mic stand behind them. That's like a thing. You taught that, but then I suddenly realized what you were doing, and this is why I wanted to interview you today. You weren't telling people how to tell jokes, and I think of the what was it twelve people on the course or whatever? I think there was only one guy that tried to do gags, yeah Everybody else was just being naturally funny, and you I noticed what you were doing. you were drawing the funny out of people, yeah, and so I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that because it you, you weren't saying, you know you might have mentioned how to how to write a joke, but it wasn't like, here's a Jimmy Carr joke, Set up, we're going one direction, oh no, we're going a different direction, that's comedy. You didn't teach. Much of that, you were just drawing people out. So explain, because I think speakers listening to this would love that. How do you draw out the funny in people?
0: Well, if you teach people to write jokes, it's a useful talent if you're going to be telling jokes. (laughs) And for everything else, it's not that useful a talent. It's like teaching people to write on a Post-it note. It's, it's got a kind of limited use. Whereas if you can teach people to find in themselves what they want to say and also how they can best say it, that's for them to explore. Rather than teaching people in a kind of formal setting, I'm the teacher, you are the students in a classroom. That doesn't really work unless you're trying to ram some information in, and not everyone's going to learn that way. So it's simpler for me to create a space where people can come out to themselves Mm. at their own pace, but with a support group of other people who are doing precisely the same thing. There's an informality to it where I don't push people into doing things. They've given me some money, which gives me basically they've given themselves the permission yeah to tit around to be playful to explore to try mm-hmm. stuff and that's the admission fee because yeah. I could I could say to them the comedy course is free come along but that wouldn't work you when you pay you pay attention because you're invested in it It's the same reason if you go to a a free gig. It might be uh, an open mic night for music or poetry or stand-up comedy. You're not really invested in it because it's free. I mean, you've made the effort to go there, like an art gallery or a museum. It's free to get into. You've Mm -hmm. made the effort to go there. But what you get out of it will be refined if you've put (laughs) more into it.
1: And I think there's something about the kind of six sessions as well, because there's always looming is the kind of gig at the end. But throughout the the course, you were playing that down all the time. You were just like, oh, I just wanted to chat about stuff and, you know, three to five minutes or whatever, just chat and just make it happen. Whereas people were coming in really panicking on that first week. I could tell they were panicking about that final gig already. And you spent the whole time sort of saying, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just be funny. And I think that for me, there was something about, the this is what coaching comes in, I guess. There's something about the regular thing. So going there every week for six weeks and then have that final gig. There was something about it. It was a builder. It was a builder. It was building up. It was building up. People ring me up or they email me, and they want me to give them like one pearl of wisdom for them to become a great speaker. And I'm like, it's not how it works. You've
0: got to. You've got <laughs> if, to. Get if you want a shortcut, you don't deserve it. Wow. It's as simple as that. Mm. It's really as simple as that. And the other other thing is, when you say it's six weeks, it is six Monday nights, or it was six Monday nights with a graduation show on the seventh Monday night normally. And I was a bit sneaky about that. And I've just started reading a book, um, The Habits of a Happy Brain. And in that, it's Mm. talking about how to kind of rewire your thinking so the reward chemicals in your brain, the dopamine, the serotonin the endorphins cortisol to a certain extent it will take 45 days to form that new habit so if you do six weeks of mondays and then a show on the seventh monday that's 49 days so if i get people into the habit of thinking differently on a daily basis over six weeks by the time they come to the graduation show they've formed a new habit which isn't to find it terrifying (laughs) to be on stage, all you're doing is having a slightly one-sided conversation, and everyone's had a conversation. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that you've got lights pointed at you and a microphone in your hand is neither here nor there because you've spent hours and hours in the company of relative strangers, making them into new friends mm-hmm. by virtue of everyone doing the same thing, everyone it, what, wanting the same result, <laughs> which is what as once as a, a larger thing, people... By and large, want you to succeed.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, no, unless you're unless there's a stag do in the audience for you as a comedian, most people want you to be funny, right? They don't want you to die because they're sat there thinking, please let this person be funny. And same with speakers. I always say with speakers, you've got to. No one, no one. You know, if you're at a business conference all day, they don't want you to be bad. They're
0: just willing that you'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing with the the stand up comedy analogy when you say if there's a stag do in, I mean, the stag do, if they are too drunk to care and they've already, they paid for the whole weekend package six months in advance, then they don't feel like they're invested in any way. But in most situations, unless they're utterly wasted, you could say to a stag do, let's have a good time. And people will be more invested in having a good time than having a horrible time or having conflict.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, and yeah. that that sort of audience is vanishingly rare, mm. or was in the before times. Certain sorts of clubs and the certain sorts of clubs, by and large, collapsed because that was the audience they were trying to attract. Oh. So the the better clubs succeeded because mm. they were welcoming, and you'd yeah. go there with your girlfriend or husband or. Yeah, mum and dad, if you're of the right age, and everyone would just go and laugh together rather than apart.
1: Yeah, yeah. The one the or one or two times I won't go into the names, but when I've been to a more corporate type comedy club, you know, you were you were kind of shoveled in there. You you seen? Oh, this is quite great. And then you know, after an hour and ten minutes, you were shoved back out again for the next lot to come in. <laughs> and it was it was like you were just in some kind of you're on and some kind of conveyor belt. Do you know what I mean? And it was, it was, whereas your shows, you know, you've done some local ones here in Leeds and and they're just like, yeah, yeah, if you need to go and get a drink, go and get a drink, work your way in. We'll start roughly about here. They're a much more community feel. Have you yeah. always had that sort of
0: community I've, I've flavor? It, because it makes it more welcoming. It's what you were saying before about kind of in a corporate environment where people don't want you to be bad. That's because they've invested their time being there. Yeah. But the instant you put in a, a little touch of humour that just says, I'm here too. I don't want this to be shite either. Mm. An audience will respond to that and just you'll see them just loosen up a bit and go, oh, he he's actually here, he's present. He or she as a presenter is present in the room.
1: Yeah. One of my little bugbears about certain speakers is when I see someone do their usual shtick, so in my industry, I mean, you don't know the, you don't know my industry particularly well, but there is people who've done the same talk for 25 years. Mm-hmm. They've got a 45 minute talk, and they know that you know, I wink at this point, and I pause at this point, and I do this. But it has some often no relation to the audience. Yeah. And so that they do it, and then they, they usually pushed off stage, or their manager takes them away, and they get <laughs> in a the car, they move on to the next one. They do three of those a day, and they might earn some serious money doing that. But honestly. Doing yeah. the same 45 minutes, like a vaudeville act from the 1920s yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is just, whereas or- everything I've seen you do, you, you're including the audience. You're building, as Ken Dodd says, you're building that bridge yeah. from the stage to the audience.
0: Yeah, you have to include the people who are there. Otherwise, I, I have a similar bugbear in that uh, I've seen comedians, and it's like they have a rucksack, and they carry the rucksack with them wherever <laughs> they go, and at every opportunity they will take out of the rucksack a really heavy polished stone the size of a bowling ball and they'll show people this stone and say yeah this <laughs> used to be a big rock but I've chipped bits off it and I polished it and it's really heavy but I've made it really shiny now look you can see your face in it and they just put it on the stage and people look at it for 20 minutes or half an hour and then at the end of that time they put it back in the rucksack and depart carrying the heavy weight of this bowling ball this polished rock with them and the rock doesn't change because they're happy with it Mm. but it's always this weight to carry whereas if you see like oxygen you could walk into a room and there'll be oxygen there there are people in the room and they're breathing the same oxygen. So rather than carrying this heavy weight around with you, you've got all of your experiences to inform what you want to say, all of their experiences, which inform mm. how they'll receive what you want to say. And it's an interplay.
1: So when you've done the club, the sort of comedy club circuit, which I guess you've been in and out of that over the years, uh, do you meet the same people again and again doing the
0: same 15 minutes? Fewer and fewer as it kind of, as the circuit changed. If you were doing that, people had seen you set and there was no surprise there. Oh, okay. So it's one thing I mean, in comedy you get paid for consistency. Yeah. You arrive and if you make the audience laugh, that's good. That's good. If you're punctual, if you're not a sex pest, if you're a nice person to spend time in the company of, yeah. Well done. But yeah. also you have to have some sort of some sort of Evolution. I had an interview with Eddie Izzard. I think it was on the Rule of Three podcast, where he was talking about some people had a set that became like a hymn or like mm. like a prayer, like the Hail Mary, Mary or an Our Father. It just it lost all the meaning of the words yeah. because it was just this thing that they'd learned and repeated and repeated, and it yeah. set around them like a shell. <laughs> Gosh, and that's. Again, a really lovely analogy. I mean, I'm not spiritual myself. Mm-hmm. I know that you're very spiritual. And I know that the way you experience religion isn't to go to the Vatican and go, oh, there's tons of God here. <laughs> it's not. There's tons of the shell. There's tons of the practice, mm-hmm. but none of the actual, the raw flame of it. That's the sort of thing that you have that passion for, It be it football or be it comedy or be it crochet. <laughs> Yeah it could be like Ellen Reed's maximum crusted power hour but whatever it is if you just go okay it starts at 9 p.m. it finishes at 9:45 p.m. there's a 5 minute interval and that's what we do when we do it how we do it yeah it's it loses all of its life
1: that's great
0: i think wow. the one thing that turned me off religion was going every sunday <laughs> yeah yeah it's like what why <laughs> all these people that I know from the community can be weapons-grade ends, just like everyone, but then they go to this place on a particular day and all of a sudden that's where holy happens. <laughs> no, no, no bollocks to that.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a
1: faith, but I wouldn't call myself religious. I think that's the distinction. Because yeah. religion is a man- or woman-made thing to try and reach you to get near a god. And of yeah. course, it's, you know, it's just, that just isn't my thing, but that isn't the subject of the podcast. So we better not get too diverted no, um, no. from that because otherwise we'll go on because we had a long walk in the park a few weeks ago. Oh, we did. Uh, and I think we, uh, we talked about everything in about an hour and a half. It was fantastic. I loved it. So you've done the circuit, you've done your own gigs, you've done community gigs, you've done Glastonbury, haven't you? You've done some big festivals because a lot of speakers listening to this, they'll, they'll They'll be in a training room with twelve people, and then the next thing they might like. It's just a weird thing. Like my job, I was training twelve people last week, and then the day after, I was doing a talk with two hundred and twenty people. I mean, it was online, but it was still two hundred and twenty people. So, how how do you make that progression from that little gig to suddenly playing a a larger tent at Glastonbury or something like that?
0: Move around a bit more. (laughs) (laughs) There's twelve people, then they can all see you. I mean, if there's 200 people. Then there's going to be some who are further back, but you can fill most rooms with force of personality. Just there was a, still is a, a comic uh, called Iver Dembina, who's a, kind of an old Jewish guy based down in London. And Dembina's law of comedy, I covered this when we did the course. Dembina's law is: if it's going badly, get off. If it's going well, get off. Wow, be finite because it needn't go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, you have a space to fill and a time to fill. Know what you're after. The result being, be clear on your priorities and say, okay, I've got this story I'd like to tell. Maybe a couple of jokes that I'd like to tell. I want to play these three songs or what have you. But you try and reach out to the far corners of the room. Don't play to the front row. Don't play to the gallery. Play to everyone and try and bring all these people together because they've chosen to be there and they will never be that audience ever again. They will never be those people in that room ever again. If there's 12 of them there, they might be gathered together in another room or the same room in a year's time. But then and there, it's magic and special because in a year's time or in a day's time, what's going on in their own lives will have changed. Mm. They won't be the same people. It's that thing of the kind of the river yeah, is never the same twice because it's always flowing and moving.
1: And of course, this year, I mean, we're, at time of recording, this is late January 2021, but if we cast our mind back 11 months, you probably did your last gigs in whatever, February 2020. Yeah. Did you ever think in February 2020 that you wouldn't be gigging for another year?
0: Or more? Uh, I feared it. I'd managed to do a few physical gigs in the various different tiers over the kind of the first kind of 10 months. Kind of, yeah. Kind of over
1: the summer, after after the first lockdown, over the summer, was it?
0: Summer and some through the autumn into the early winter. I didn't think it would be as slow as this. Yeah. But, I mean, without... Without taking it too politically, I think we've been very badly led by people who were hand selected on a single issue and now another issue has come along. And all of a sudden the people who wanted one thing have realized they've got to deal with taking the bins out, making sure school children aren't hungry and they're just not equipped to di- because they've been they've been chosen for one thing. Mm. So I do anticipate it taking a long time to come back. Yeah. But with that in mind, there's a lot of stuff that used to go on as normal, which I don't think should come back.
1: All oh, right, great. Any, any, I mean, you might not want to mention names. Is there anything specific that you think you don't want
0: to come back? Uh, th- yeah, there's a profundity of inequality, which is yeah. I mean, if you look at kind of Scandinavian countries, I think it's Finland where there's a legal limit on how many times the salary of the least and best-paid employees in a company, I think it's like 15 times. As the head of a company, you can only only earn 15 times more than the cleaner. Oh, along amazing. those lines. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we've got to the stage where the 10 most wealthy individuals have exceeded half the money and mm. that that's not just allowed to happen, but is kind of somehow yeah, celebrated. Whoa, no, 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 no.
1: Yeah, I understand. I understand. I mean, in my industry as well, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, do fight against a little bit sometimes is, uh, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time talking to people talk about success. Yeah. So, you know, I will... I will help people to be more successful. But you have to really define success. Yeah, and when yeah. you scratch under the surface, people often mean just making more money. And it's such, yeah. a, it's such a shallow way of thinking that. Yeah. I've met loads That's of millionaires great. over the years, and there's only two, not loads and loads. I've met, I don't know, probably at least a dozen millionaires, probably not without knowing some of them. Mm-hmm. And the only two of them that I've known were really nice guys. And the sure. rest of them, I just think, oh, yeah,
0: you're a little bit odd. <laughs> so, it's a very diplomatic way of phrasing grasping and weird.
1: <laughs> but, you know, the fact is that some people, you know, step on other people to make loads of money. Yeah, Some people do all that stuff. And so, yeah, you've got to define what success actually is. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I think that's an interesting one.
0: I think I'm very fortunate in that regard in that I do feel like I'm the luckiest man alive. Not yeah. because I'm particularly financially wealthy, but my security and my kind of sense of self-worth don't come from having tons and tons and tons of money. They come from the fact that I know contentment and I know that mm. Contentment's quite an easy thing to obtain and money's not the it's not the way marker. It doesn't hurt but
1: knowing what enough. Yeah. Well, I think it was Zig Ziglar that says he is fairly close to oxygen for survival, but it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to obsess, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm in business, I'm, I make profit, I make money. to But ultimately, like, like my good friend Peter Roper says, ultimately everyone's just trying to fill the fridge. And I think what this pandemic has helped us understand is people just want to fill the fridge. So you hear of comedians who are working as postal workers or they're doing a night shift at Tesco's and whatever they do. And they're still trying out comedy. I go to a new comedy night every week, the Sarah Millican one. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's great, great. I've been nearly every week of lockdown I've been. It's just a staple in my week now. It's great. And there's big stars there and people you would not heard of, but they're all just trying stuff out because they know that even if – and some of them do say, you know, I'm a a postal worker or a porter in a hospital – but they're still working on their craft for when it does properly come back, and yeah. that's the people who are really in it for the long term, who want to craft it. Because there's that kind of, I guess I'm getting onto the, to what I've been quite impressed with you. Because when we went for a walk a few weeks back, yeah, it's you. <laughs> you actually started saying how you structure your day for creativity. And I know you've probably got your moments, and you procrastinate and get up oh, late like everyone does at times. But
0: I've alphabetized the garage.
1: <laughs> yes, let's put all my DVDs in <laughs> alphabetical order, even though I've not had a and not used a DVD for f- about four years. But, um, <laughs> order. <laughs> no, so tell us about because you know being a speaker and presenter, that's a creative industry. Hmm. So how are you in lockdown, where for for a while your work disappeared? How did you keep a structure? Of creativity, so set an alarm.
0: So my alarm goes <laughs> off a little bit before seven every morning, and by and large, I get up, I have a cold shower, and then run it on to hot. I've got a shower that takes maybe, maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute for the water to run hot. So I just get in, turn the shower on. Oof. You say oof, but in that. Hadada, 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 hadada. <sighs> In that kind of little window where I see how many swear words I can remember, (laughs) I just remember how lucky I am to have running water, and I can drink the water. It's not going to give me the blinding shit, so I'll gravy myself (laughs) inside out. And whatever happens with Brexit or whatever happens with this, that, and the other, it's unlikely that here in the UK that water's going to not come out the taps. (laughs) <laughs> and regardless of where you're on the political spectrum that is a really fortunate thing so if mm-hmm. I can get the perspective starting the day I get out of bed and make the bed so I'm getting into a made bed I've, I've achieved something before I've put my slippers <laughs> on. and then the cold shower reminds me that I I'd live in a country where there's water in the so I don't have to walk anywhere for mm-hmm. something that cattle defecating I've got fresh water available so by the time the water gets hot and I get clean I'm getting really complacent so then I kind of turn it on to cold again hose myself down with the cold water and do that all in three minutes to try and save water and then think okay what do I need to do today it's a friend Laurie Whiteley that you might remember through the course uh, yes. must, what must it have what can it have and what won't it have so like today I've got to send out to my mailing list. Yeah. So I've got the list of things that are going to be on the mailing list, what it must have, what it can have, and what it won't have. And then I kind of structure it a little bit. I've got some – you can see that. Well, that's kind of the week broken up into a fortnight and then the afternoon evening. So I kind of try and keep a little idea of what I'm doing and when. Yeah. And then there's some stuff which is kind of small-ticket items, like. If I put on the washing machine in the morning, <laughs> by lunchtime, it'll be done. And that can be working in the background. Yeah. So I don't think I achieve a great deal. I don't think that I'm organized at all. So you saying that is really flattering me, but I'm thinking, this guy, this guy's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, this guy knows nothing about me. No, no. I mean, partly
1: when when speakers and comedians, whenever someone is on stage, they're a bigger version of themselves, right? And that's a good thing that I teach. So you know, you're funnier. Your your expressions are bigger. You're a bigger version of yourself. But there's a quite a lot of comedians that they give across that impression that they they're always drunk. They never get up. They're completely procrastinate. Their relationships and their life is in tatters. Yeah. Now I, I don't know whether that's just an exaggeration of their real self or whether
0: for some, some of them c- it's perfectly true. But for some <laughs> of them, it is. It's a very carefully honed character. Yeah, born out of maybe a lost weekend or a lost year or a lost decade, where they can remember all that and play off it. Yeah, as I'm kind of learning more and more music, like I kind of took up the piano a few years ago, and I'd never learned to read music before, so that's something that's coming in. It all it, it all feeds into the whole process. But there was a thing I read in a book about guitar playing, which is music is just a fancy way of going from one silence to another. Yeah. And that applies to all writing, all speech, be it presenting, be it comedy, be it acting. I think I like that because it gives you a kind of less is more approach rather than just Mm. blah, 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 flapping your jaw.
1: Yeah. Less is more is a great thing. And, and and I love, I mean, what inexperienced speakers do is they never pause because if you're anxious, you keep talking, don't you? <laughs> you know, that's what you do. To pause requires self-confidence to pause, to stop, to reflect to the audience, to do a cheeky wink to the crowd or whatever. That all <laughs> takes... Oi, oi. <laughs> oi, cheeky wink. <laughs> no, no. It, but that all takes self-confidence that you're comfortable enough in your own skin to... Just pause. I mean, what I mean by a cheeky wink, What I, I realised that you were doing stand-up comedy. You are going to look for a laugh every 20, 30 seconds, but that laugh can just be you pulling a funny face. It doesn't have to be a
0: gag. I'll dispute the 20, 30 seconds because... All right, go on then. I'd, I'd never say I'm kind of the best comedian out there, but in my price range... Which is yeah, very I, expensive, by the way. I'm available. I'm available. <laughs> I think you can be... Bang, 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 really, really funny. And even the comedians who are kind of relentless gag machines, your Tim Vines, your Gary Delaney's, your kind of Mitch Hedberg's, they would adapt that process to have a very different pace. So some of them would be really rapid fire. But even then, even your kind of Jimmy Carr's, the one-liners, they realised that having that rate is all very well, but people will switch off because there's no light and shade, there's no dynamic to it. And if you put in the dynamics...
1: Have you ever gone through your DVD and worked out what your gag rate is, laugh rate? Have you ever, th- have you ever worked that out?
0: No. Because I know that there are some things where it is pretty gag-heavy and some things where it's not, but it's a textural thing. And to me, it's more important to be interesting than hilarious consistently. Because <laughs> if you're consistently hilarious, then, oh, that's great, that's great. But People aren't always interested in blah, 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 If you can put something in and they go, oh, I didn't notice that the last time I watched it. Or, hey, that's that's worth thinking about.
1: Yeah.
0: Because for me, I'd see a difference between a stand-up comic and a stand-up comedian. A stand-up comic is just a product and you wouldn't want to see them twice because the second time you saw them, realised that it was pretty much the same as the first time.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and some of the older guys were probably like that. I mean, I, I was—I talk about Ken Dodd in one of my presentation skills. I was a big Ken Dodd fan. Saw him three or four times. Met him the year before he died. It's really privileged to see him. But when you go see Ken Dodd, you saw Ken Dodd, and Ken Dodd was always Ken Dodd. And it, apart from the acts in between and the Diddy men or the Diddy people, or whatever, yeah, 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 it was the same thing. Yeah, it was just—it was just a legend. So you went to see him. But if you see that with someone else, I'd, yeah, you wouldn't want to. You couldn't go and see Tim Vine, who I love, and Gary Delaney, who I think is great as well. You couldn't see Tim Vine, Gary Delaney, Stephen Wright, and a few others, all the one-liners. You couldn't see them all in one night, because it'd (laughs) actually be a really miserable night, wouldn't it? (laughs)
0: Yeah. I remember my mum saying that when she was younger, she went to see Ken Dodd playing Malvolio at the theatre in Liverpool. Yeah. And said that he was amazing for the restraint that he was putting into it. He was playing tricks like Lenny Henry playing Othello. It's a different thing to making people laugh, but you can command that attention, or you can just do what you do, and people's attention will fall to you because you're worthy of their attention.
1: I went to see Lenny Henry. I met Lenny Henry as well. I went to see him sort of in his heyday, late 80s, early 90s, I guess. But when, when he went kind of serious, in my head, I'm like, oh, he's gone very serious now. When he started doing Othello, I'd be like, if I'd gone to watch that, I'd be I'd be just waiting for him to turn into Theopolis P. Wildebeest at any oh, moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? I'd be thinking, when, when's it going to... And so I don't think I'd enjoy it. I'd be too stressed
0: out, you know what I mean? Yeah, but the thing is, if you watch an actor and they happen to be funny in that role, then it's just that they've got range. Yeah, yeah. But stand-up comedy is one of those things that you... If you get good at it, you are... Not being emotionally manipulative, but you are in charge of the roller coaster of emotions that the people in front of you are feeling. Mm. And you're tending towards making them laugh, but you have to know when to be able to stop to mm. accentuate that. Otherwise, it's just candy floss all <laughs> the time. You're not bringing in any of the other flavors.
1: Very good. Very good. Gosh, we could talk all day. I'll, I'll give you a couple more questions and I'm going to ask you to maybe do a song, Silky. That'd be nice. Do a little song okay, for me. Is. Okay. So give me a quick tip then. And, and then we, you can do a song maybe to finish if you want. Can you tell her, how do you make someone who they come to your course and they say, I'm not very funny. How do
0: you draw out something? Because Well, b- by listening to what you've just said there and listening is the key. You said, I'm not very funny. So I'm going to lay that bare. You've said that you are capable of being funny, but on some sort of linear scale from about as funny as bone cancer to wet your pants in public, hilarious. You're somewhere on that scale, but you don't think you could do it professionally. Mm. You said you're not very funny. Well, okay, no one's expecting you to be very funny. Bill Withers said, you can't get to wonderful without passing through all right. And no one's expecting the finished article. No one's expecting that finished product. No one's expecting you to be an audience with Victoria Woods. No one's expecting... Yeah. Genuinely, having seen professional speakers, no one's expecting any (laughs) humour. So you don't have to be very funny to stand out. You can just be a bit funny. You can be enough funny.
1: Vaguely humorous. Yeah, that, that'll do, won't it? You can it's, raise a smile rather than a belly laugh. That's a good thing, isn't
0: it? Yeah. It's, it's a start. But the thing is, it's a process as well. And if you don't think you're very funny, then it's my job to change that. Because you might not be the best at zinging one-liners. I'm not the best at zinging one-liners. You might not be the best at silent comedy. But... I'm not the best at silent comedy. You might not be the best at great big stories with 34 characters and all the different voices and acting out the worst thing that ever happened to you with all these beautiful loops like Billy Connolly, but I'm not the best at that. It doesn't matter that you're not the very best because no one's ever been you before and no one will ever be you again. And all the experiences that went into making you are unique. So you don't have to be very funny. You just have to have a little bit of faith in the fact that if you talk to people who are there to listen, then with practice, you can improve how you come across. Humour is a really good way of shortening the distance between two people.
1: Love it. Fantastic. Silky, how can people find out about yourself, uh, get on your mailing list and find out about your online comedy and and improv courses? How can
0: they do that? You can go to uh, silkythecomedian.com, and there's links on there. They could email laughatleads at at gmail.com if they're interested in the comedy courses, or just Google Silky the Comedian. Don't go to silky.com. That has nothing to do with me.
1: No, it sounds a bit dodgy. But there you go. So silkythecomedian.com, all the stuff is there. Silky, it's been great to chat to you. Let's finish with a little song or something, shall we? That'll be a good bit of fun. So I I do really recommend Silky's courses. And then because they're now online, anyone from anywhere can be part of that. So (laughs) have a look. Mm Silkythecomedian.com. Thank you, Silky. Take it away, my friend.
0: You are very welcome. You are very welcome. Now, I haven't prepared anything, so I'm not quite sure what to do Mm here, but... What would you like? What would you fancy? Just a short little funny something. I don't know. Whatever you like, mate. Oh, okay, dokie. Okay. If it's rubbish, we'll edit it out, so it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the interview just ends there. <laughs> Terry's just done a backflip over the houses by the railway line Terry's just done a backflip over the houses by the railway line There's all this copper cable lying around, there's got to be a quid in that I had something about 700 volts I don't want them so I took my axe and I gave the cable just one whack now Terry's just done a backflip over the houses by the railway line stealing trackside cable might not be the career plan you'd hoped for and now your shoes are there with smoke coming out of them He's left all his wee and poo here And two clouds of steam that smell like ice Terry's just on a backflip Over the houses by the railway line
1: Thank you. Poor Terry. Poor Terry. (laughs) Thank you very much, Silky. We'll see you next time on Get Good at Presenting the Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Take care, Lee. Always a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to the
0: Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host, Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz.